Welcome to Two Inches Off the Ground. When you are enlightened, you live your life two inches off the ground. Please tell a friend, a coworker, anyone who you will think will benefit if you like this podcast. And uh, as always, give me five stars on Apple Podcasts and please write a review. Why? Because it helps people find this podcast and I would really appreciate it. And remember to check out my products and services at freespiritpodcast.com. This is season two, episode 10, Relationships and Esther Perel. The queen is back. For the fourth time, it's Queen Saskia. Hi, Queen. Hello, my subject. (laughs) I like that, my subject. (laughs) In our daily life, Saskia is a highly sought-out public speaking coach. She has a beautiful book that I beyond recommend to anyone who is looking to improve their speaking and public speaking skills. The book is called More Than Words Can Say, The Making of Inspired Speakers, and can be purchased easily on Saskia's beautiful website, thekeynotecoach.com. Everything will be in the show notes. Oh, and Oprah's bestie, Elizabeth Lesser, calls Saskia's book utterly fantastic. I mean, you can't get better than that, right? I couldn't imagine better praise than coming from Elizabeth Lesser, no less. Amazing. Yeah, I'm very grateful. Welcome, Saskia. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's always a pleasure to be here. And you're here four times. Four times? Is that the lucky number? Should we go gamble? I know. (laughs) We should. We're going to be in a high vibration. We should. So we thought this would be a good episode to drop right before Valentine's Day. Esther Perel is a world-famous psychologist. Her specialty is couples therapy. Saskia, you brought her onto my radar because you're very aligned with her philosophy and teaching. Tell us about your recent journey with I keep saying that wrong. It's Esther. It's Esther. She's Belgian. She's born in Belgium. And so I guess it's the French pronunciation of what we would recognize as Esther. But she says Esther. Of Esther Perel. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your recent journey with Esther Perel and why you're so aligned with her. Well, I had discovered Esther years ago. I think probably through her TED Talks, which were wonderful. But then I kind of slipped and didn't pay much attention for a long time. And then she came back on my radar through an interview that she had done, a podcast interview. And I just thought it was brilliant. She was obviously speaking extemporaneously. And I'm sure she had said variations of those things many times before, but she sounded so fresh, as if she were truly in the moment, had never said any of these things one time before. They were all coming right out of her as if she had just thought of them. And I listened both to the content, which was excellent, but I also listened to her as a public speaker. I can't turn that part of my brain quite off. Of course. Even when I'm not being paid. I was just enamored of her spontaneity, her freshness, the appropriateness of what she was saying in all of the answers, and her insight. She was incredibly insightful about relationships and about the questions she was being asked. And I just sat there in utter admiration And then when I came out of my coma, I sent that interview to like seven or eight of my closest friends. She is totally authentic. 
And as you know only too well, my entire book is about being authentic. It's got lots of tips and experiences and stories and anecdotes about public speaking, but the message is you have to bring your authentic self to whatever you do. Particularly in public speaking, if you're inauthentic, the audience has, let's call it a bullshit meter. They know immediately when you're faking it or not quite yourself. So does this audience. So these (laughs) listeners, major bullshit meter. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) You can't afford not to be inauthentic in public speaking. You might be able to fudge it in other arenas. I wouldn't recommend doing it, but you might be able to. But in public speaking, it's going to come out. When she was exemplifying for me the way to conduct an interview or speak on a podcast or even on a Zoom call, that's when I said she's a soul sister. We both are Jewish from a a Holocaust-related background, so she has a very keen sense of living life to the fullest. I related to her on many, many other levels. I started listening to like four of her podcasts back to back. So I was, I was impossible. I couldn't talk about anything else for about a week. So. And then you had also said that public speaking is a lot like listening to Esther Perel because she's highly intuitive. She's reading energy, but you also talked about, I love how you said it's a two way street. Yeah. So can you give us an example? I know you have worked with economists. Can you give us that example? So most people, when you say public speaking to them, first of all, they panic that they have to do it. They, yeah. they, they run the other way. But when you ask them to describe it, they will say, well, you're on a stage or at a podium speaking to people, and they're sitting there, and that's it. You're speaking and they're not. But the fact of the matter is, this is something I discovered almost inadvertently, that public speaking is a two-way street. You may be the only one vocalizing, verbalizing, but you are having a conversation with your audience, whether you know it or not. But trust me, accept it as a fact. You are having a conversation with your audience. They just happen not to be verbalizing. They're thinking. They're reacting. Mm -hmm. They're maybe sleeping if you're not doing a good job. But it is definitely an interaction, even though, granted, the communication is going one way. And I learned this very early on in my career as a coach in public speaking because I was brought into a very excellent, prestigious firm of economists who testified as expert witnesses in court. I was asked to train them to speak to a jury and explain complex economic principles. And I thought, Jesus, what have I done? I don't know. I don't know what to say to these guys. And it forced me to really take apart, to analyze the process of public speaking. For example, everybody makes assumptions. If you make a certain assumption as an economic witness and the jury is not making that same assumption, 
you're toast. You've got to spell out your assumptions. You've got to teach the jury the basics of what precedes what you're about to explain to them. You can't take anything for granted. And so I understood, and especially with a jury, they're close by, the lights are on, they're not sitting in the dark. You can see their reactions. You can see their brows furrow. You can see a look of impatience on their face. You can look at a head nodding and understanding. You could look at eyes glazing over. All of this is usually possible in a larger audience, except that frequently the spotlight is on you if it's a big stage and the audience is in the dark. So that's that's harder. That's a different thing. But I always approached public speaking as a two-way street, not as a lecture being given by the professor to people who were not engaged. So much like Astaire Perel, it's a relationship exactly. that you're setting up. And that's why exactly. you relate so much to Perel and her writings is because and her speaking. Because it's it's a relationship. It's all about relationship. Yeah. All of my work is about relationship, even though it may not seem that way at first, but that's the key word. I'd say my two key words are relationship and authenticity. When you were putting together your own PR materials, uh, you have kind of a juicy story that I think the listeners would like. So go ahead, please tell us. Well, when my book came out and I was working with a great um, marketing PR guy, he said to me, I want you to write some materials for marketing that will help sell the book. I was a novice at this. I had no idea what to write. I know what marketing materials look like for someone else, but when it came to more than words can say, the making of inspired speakers, I didn't know what I was doing. So I wrote this sort of boring, predictable, unfun, not fun copy and sent it to him. And he said, eh, try it again. So I went back and I tried it again and I got reaction that was close. Well, it's a little better, but eh, try it again. So on the third round, I was pulling my hair out. I didn't know how to change it and make it fun. And so I closed my laptop and I went off for the weekend to the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. As one does. As one does. <laughs> As one in this metaphysical world does. Everyone exactly. understands. All my listeners get it. They're like, oh yeah, I went off here. I went off to an energy retreat. I went off in the woods by myself. So go ahead. Exactly. We get, we, we, we get your vibe. We got it. And there... I listened for the whole weekend to Dr. Christian Northrup, oh, who had just come back, fresh off the, the train, from a seminar that she had taken on sensuality and sexuality with a fantastic teacher in New York called Mama Gina. I think it's called Mama Gina's School of sensual arts or sexual arts, something like that, but it's, she's known as Mama Gina. The estrogen level in that room at the Omega Institute was enough to blow the roof off. Mm. We were laughing, we were clapping, we were hyped up, we were joyous. 
as was Christiane Northrup. She was, she's very funny. She's an amazing speaker. And that night she was like a stand-up comic. I was really recharged from that weekend. So Monday morning, I'm back at my computer trying to figure out what to write about my book. I was very frustrated because I wanted to be as engaging and fun as she had been, as, as Christian Northrup had been. And then I'm talking to myself and saying, yeah, but she's a gynecologist. Her subject is sex. What does sex and public speaking have in common? And then I stopped and I wrote that down. Mm. I went to my computer. I, I wrote down, what do sex and public speaking have in common? And I'm sitting there, you know, with nothing to write for a few minutes. And then I kind of allowed myself to free associate. Mm. I wasn't trying to write copy any longer. I was just free associating. I'll read you some of the thoughts that came to me. Sex is ultimately about communion. And what is communication if not communion? The intellect is an essential tool, but it must become secondary to feelings if we are to convey what is in our heart. In other words, don't let your head do the job of your heart and don't expect your heart to do the job of your head. I sent it to my my guy and he said, bingo, what happened to you? This is fun now. So it got me out of my head and really into a playful mode. And I think that Esther is very playful in her work. From what I've heard of her podcasts, one is called Housework because she talks about the workplace. The other is called Where Should We Begin? Mm -hmm. And it's about interpersonal relationships. She's not authoritarian. She really plays and seems to want her people to have fun in exploring the questions they've come to explore. So I think of her as my soul sister. What can I say? So I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to discuss Astaire's podcast, Where Should We Begin? I loved her episode, It's Very Hard to Live with a Saint. Because the calm person isn't always right, Saskia, and is feeding into that energy. What I like is that she has a new take on an old relationship dynamic. I wish I had heard this a long time ago because I've always almost chosen calm people to date and they were the saint in the fight. I was the emotional one. I was the one. You were the devil. I was the devil and they were the saint and that drove me even crazier. Is there any relationship advice from Esther Perel that you wish you would have heard years before that you can pass on to our listeners today to help with their relationships? It doesn't have to be couples, but it can be, you know, any interpersonal relationship. Well, I don't know that this came from listening to Esther Perel, but when it comes to couples therapy, my experience, I've never been in couples therapy, but I wanted to be. But my experience was that my husband would not go. The lesson I learned is it's a two-way street, as is public speaking. Mm -hmm. It's a two-way street. It takes two to tango. You can't have a relationship with someone who's not there. If they're going to be there only in body, but not in spirit, not in mind, not with intention to expand and learn and go further, then you know, you're bringing a corpse to the session. 
So I would say <laughs> make sure you've got a live person and not a corpse working on the problems with you. Otherwise, you know, what can I say? That's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned as a couple uh, in my past relationship. In my past relationship, I went to couples therapy. I begged the guy to go. We went. Uh, we went twice. We had a horrible couples therapist at first, and then we went to a second one who was phenomenal and actually reminded me a lot of Esther Perel now that I think about it. So she might have been guided by her and, you know, in regard to mm -hmm. her books and podcasts and whatever. So we went to her and she was phenomenal, but he just didn't want to do the homework because good solutions based therapists, they'll give you homework to do. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't want to do it. And it was just, it turned into a big waste of time and honestly a waste of money. Yeah. And it was a very frustrating situation for me. And I learned from that, if people don't want to change, they're not going to change. Yeah. And if they're not going to be willing to do it and you have to get down on your hands and knees, which I actually did and beg the person <laughs> oh, to go. God. I was crying, begging on my hands and knees to save the relationship, which I'm so glad I'm not in today. <laughs> but, you know, I had that experience. And it, now I look back and I said, what the hell was I doing? You know, yeah. that relationship, the, the writing was on the wall. So uh, yeah. it, just a funny story from couples therapy. I have, I have many funny stories from couples therapy, but this one I thought was kind of funny. We had an issue with affection. He was just not an affectionate person. So the therapist ordered homework that every time he came from home from work, he had to give me a hug. And he had to give me a hug for one minute. Well, that's a long time. It's a long time yeah. to hug. And of course, I, I'm sure you know what happened. The first day we did it, the second day we did it, the third day it dwindled, the fourth day it moved down to 30 seconds, and then it stopped. Less and less and less and Because nothing. you can't change the person. Yeah. If that's not who they are. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe that person is very affectionate with, I know they're married, so with mm. their current wife. Maybe mm. it's just me. You know, we just weren't right together. Yeah. So um, Chemistry, too. Chemistry was, right. you know, a lot of things. But, <laughs> yeah. So that those are my experiences with couples therapy. So I agree with you 100%. If they're just there in body and not in spirit, soul, mind, whatever, going to put the intention, yeah. going to put the energy into it, waste of money, waste of time. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right. I think Esther Perel would agree. I think she would. Don't do it. I would, I would yeah, definitely, don't. I would bet it. Yeah. So Esther Perel also discusses work relationships. Saskia, you've been a public speaking coach for decades. You've also worked at various corporations and with a myriad of clients. How do you successfully foster those work relationships? Because you have. So I'm curious how you did it. Well, until recently when I learned something new that I will share in a second, I would have said authenticity. I was always very authentic with my clients. And even though there was somebody paying... As you are in real life. Thank you. <laughs> hope so. Even though the owner of the firm was paying for them to work with me, I always made it clear to them that they were my clients. Hmm. He was the banker. Mm -hmm. But they were the people who were going to benefit and show improvement or not. But I was working for them. And I think authenticity was natural to me. I didn't think about it. Mm -hmm. It's not a word I probably would have even thrown around. But I learned something recently from a friend client that made me see relationships in another perspective. 
And that is the difference between a transactional relationship, one where you do something in order to get something from someone else. Then there's the other side, which is the opposite, which is a relational relationship, if you will. And relational is about establishing a rapport, having a friendship or an interaction because you want it Hmm. for no other reason then you like that person or want to be engaged with them. I now see the distinction very clearly between people in business, particularly in the workforce and in business, that is transactional. I will give you this amount of time if you give me this amount of money. I'm not here because I want to be. I'm here for the paycheck. Whereas all of the work that I've ever done, and this is where I've been incredibly lucky. I've done because I wanted to do the work. The paycheck was the bonus as far as I was concerned. You know, the lucky person is the one who would work for free. And that's how I felt. I wanted the work. I wanted the relationships. I learned so much from my clients. And many of them have remained among my closest friends. And so it was all relational, but I didn't have the vocabulary At the time, I wouldn't have understood the difference between building a relation versus having a transactional interaction. But when I learned it, not that long ago, several months ago, I thought, oh, I get it. Now I see why some people seem friendly, seem curious, seem interested. Seem is the operative word, obviously. Mm. But it's in order to get something. So I have a, another funny story. This one's from college. I worked on a project with this girl, probably around junior year. And she said to me when we were working on this project that her sister's philosophy in life <laughs> was you have a couple of really good friends and everyone else you use. Oh, my God. She really? actually came out and said that. Now, keep in mind, we weren't good friends. With, so, um, <laughs> you know, the, what, she was obviously very transactional and was just using me for the project we were doing. Now, we were doing it together, so I didn't feel so used. And after she said that to me, I mean, I really never spoke to her again. I had no reason to. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm like, I can't believe you just told me that. My roommate met her because they were both trying out for the dance team. And my roommate was a very good dancer. Very good. Very Had been dancing her whole life. This girl who liked to use people had called up my roommate and said, hey, will you help me learn the routines and all this kind of thing? So she did, and then I found out later that my roommate told me that she never talked to me again. I helped her, blah, blah, blah. I did this whole thing. I actually went over to her dorm. I took time out of my... And she was always busy, so a busy schedule. Woman never talked to her again. And I I told her what she had said to me. I told her what this woman revealed to me about the... And she, she was so upset about it. I mean, she was upset for, you know, not for days and days, but she was upset in the moment. Yeah. And But some people think like that. Some yeah. people, you know, she verbalized it, which was a little weird, but some people think that way. I think some people think that way, and some people don't even think about it, but do it anyway. Yeah. They're users. They just don't even give themselves that label. Yeah. But they really are not, they're in it for themselves. Absolutely. Another proponent of why you've done so well and why Esther Perel has done so well 
is just being super highly intuitive yeah. and reading the room and reading the energy. Would you agree with that? Totally. Yeah. Of course, I have to agree with you, Jennifer. You're my <laughs> dearest friend. But yes, absolutely. And I, I also began to understand as I was working over and over and over again, day in and day out with the same clients, I had carte blanche and I had an unlimited amount of time to work with the economists that I had been with at the time. And I realized they bring themselves to work in totality. They bring their problems, their upset, their bad night's sleep, the argument they just had with their two-year-old whom they can't control and wish they could. They bring their entire life to work. And when I began to see them as whole people and not just as trainees in my public speaking courses, we developed a very definite rapport. And I was able to intuit how to feed information to them, how to make them look at something a different way, how to change their attitude about something. I began to work much more intuitively and less by maybe a, a more prescribed set of rules. And I, I think that what many people forget is that you do not leave your personality in your car in the parking lot when you come to work. You bring your authentic self, and therefore, you have to be your authentic self when you're learning how to speak, when you're interacting with people, whatever it may be. There's not an on and off switch. You don't switch yourself on or switch yourself off. You are you. Yeah, and I think that's why Esther Perel is so successful is because she does it. You can tell when, if you guys ever listen to her podcast, you can tell she's reading the room. Like you can tell she's reading these couples, mm -hmm. she's reading their energy, she's intuiting everything because in a lot of these episodes or the episodes I listen to, the couples are like, how did you know that? Yeah. How did you figure that out so fast? How did you know that? So it's almost too, I think, a form of channeling. You know, yeah. how you had gone to Omega that weekend and you you know, wrote about sex as like public speaking. It's, it's a form of channeling. I think yeah. that's what she does too. I would agree with that. I, I think that she is highly intuitive and you just, you can feel that she's reading something very deep by the questions she's asking or where she stops people. She's not going by the book. She's learned her lessons and done her work, but she's bringing her authentic entire self to the session and she's on high alert she is on high alert you know you keep talking about working with economists i wish i had known you when you were working so much with economists because i have my big economy question that no economist can answer do you want oh, to hear it absolutely <laughs> so when i was living in estonia which is in eastern europe in around the year 2000 to 2002 I would go to the country under me. It was only 20 kilometers. It was called, it's Latvia. And the Latvian Lat at that time, keep in mind, it had just broken off from the Soviet Union nine years before. The Latvian Lat, meaning their currency, was worth more than the US dollar and the Great British Pound. Really? Yeah. So if any economist can explain that to me, I would love the explanation because I've asked and people are like, oh, I don't know. There's things that go into it. I'm like, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so... Well, first of all, I worked with people 
who are microeconomists, that's a macro question. Oh, is it a macro? Okay. That's a macro. Okay. I'll so, have to find myself. If anyone yeah. listening is a macroeconomist <laughs> and can answer that question, but I digress. So I wanted to talk about to you, I talk about it a lot in the Corporate Flight Attendant podcast. Shout out, Corporate Flight Attendant podcast. You listen to that too. Uh, about reading the room because as a corporate flight attendant what it is is you work on private jets with the rich and famous and when you're in cabin with these people these passengers you have to learn how to read the client they're the most mercurial people you will ever meet they're nice to you and then five minutes later they're in a bad mood because of who, who knows what you know bad business meeting bad phone call just they're in a bad mood wh- whatever it is so you have to learn to have really amazing emotional intelligence i always say this in the corporate flight attendant podcast that if you don't have good emotional intelligence you're not going to do well in this job mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what separates the men from the boys or the women from we should say the women from the the girls the women from the girls or the yeah. non-binary from the non-binary whatever <laughs> right. whatever you are so you have to have that emotional intelligence and i really think that's what gets you really far in life with people and with relationships and knowing to back off my partner you know when he's upset about something let's just say for example he doesn't want to talk for a while mm-hmm. back the f off mm-hmm. you know leave him that space which is i don't want to generalize but is common with men yeah you know so just yeah. back off don't be hounding him and hounding him and, and trust me i've 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 done it like you've, you've done your fair share of hounding I've done my fair share of <laughs> nagging and hounding trust me i've, I've done it. i know i seem perfect saskia but i've done it I think that's a really important element, too, is that emotional intelligence. Well, I'm sure it's particularly true if you're a flight attendant because you have to be so observant Mm -hmm. of your your clients, your travelers. But I would say it's what makes or breaks people in any profession. The difference between just being smart and being smart from the heart Mm. Maybe we should make a t-shirt. Be smart from the heart. I love it. No one take it. No one's taking our idea. Don't take that idea. If you can do that, you will succeed no matter what mm. your field. Mm. Yeah. Or what the relationship because the, we are all about relationships all the time, whether we know it or not. I hope that we helped everyone for Valentine's Day. At least have some things to think about. And we're not just talking about romantic relationships today, right? We talked right. about any type any of, really, any type of yeah. relationship. In terms of Valentine's Day, I would say give a one-minute hug to anybody you choose to. <laughs> not to my ex. He doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for coming on. You're always amazing. You're the queen. We bow to you. I think it's you a crown. You should make me a, a crown. T- no, not a tiara, a crown, right? Because queens wear crowns, not tiaras. Right, right. Oh, well, I'll settle for a tiara. Yeah, I'll settle for it. All right, know. I'll definitely get you that next time. But anyway, <laughs> thank you for coming on. Please make sure to look in the show notes for Saskia's amazing book. It's so good. I highly recommend it. And it also has a lot about authenticity and the law of attraction, which I highly recommend as well. You know what my favorite endorsement is? Besides Elizabeth Lesser? Yeah, your husband. Yes. He, he loved it, and I kept thinking, What? I, I was surprised he even wanted to read it, but when he, he called me and he said, that was such a great book. He and loved thought, it. He devoured it. Oh, yeah. my God. That was the highest praise I could have wished for. So thank you, Craig. Say all about relationships. So go buy the book. Until next time. Live your life two inches off the ground. Mm-hmm.